Well, we want to welcome everyone to Murrayville Baptist Church. Let's all stand. How many of you are glad to be here this morning? Say amen. 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 Good to see all of you this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Ron Bagley to open us in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you, God, for all the good things, Lord, that uh, we've had this week. God, we thank you for the blessings that we received. God, we thank you and praise you for them. As we come in here this morning, Lord, may we put the world outside, God, and think about all the blessings, Lord, and all the good things, God. And I pray, Lord, that uh, when the man of God stands, Lord, may we be ready, Lord, and already, already have prayed, Lord, for a blessing and expecting it. Pray for the choirs they sing, God. May they set the tempo for the message. And God, I, I, I just pray, Lord, we'll love each other more and love you more. And once again, we're much obliged for the blessings. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, let's all remain standing, page 53 in the Brown Book.
us one more time. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because He first loved me. If you got any tithes and offerings, you can bring them at this time as she plays. Welcome everybody out this morning. Have a few announcements to make. The uh, first of next or September 10th, there's going to be a ladies' meeting, 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall. September 24th, church cleanup day. And uh, I say it's good to serve the Lord this morning, be able to come to church. Yes, the brother Titus gave devotion this morning. How uh, I guess we get discontent with things. And uh, that one song we sang about the goodness of God, I guess it's easy in America. God's so good to us over and over and over again. We tend to forget his goodness. You know, he's been really good to us, good, or good to me. I just want to thank him for that. The, uh, I got one more announcement. Well, actually, I have a few more. At, on Wednesday nights, we started the Awana Youth Program back. If you have any children, uh, bring, them to that, bring them to that. They start there. They feed a meal at 6 o'clock. Then the service starts at 7 and also, y'all been, been seeing the past few Sundays on the slides, we're starting a new youth adult Sunday school class, or young adult Sunday school class. Oh, there, you can see right there, it says striving together is the uh, theme of it. Uh, we get that out of Philipp or Philippians 1.27. Paul writes a letter to the Philippian church. It says, only let your conversation be as becometh of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, in our class, we want to be an encouragement to young adults. And uh, yes, hope everybody that is a young adult, if you don't come to Sunday school, maybe you'll come next week. And we are going to feed you. Or maybe there'll be one less thing for you to have to worry about in the morning. And we're going to have coffee. I kind of believe that's biblical. Jesus fed the 5,000. He met their physical needs along with their spiritual needs. You know, we are, uh, the word strive, it means to make great efforts to achieve something. And uh, I really want to just be an encouragement to everyone. You know, we're not in this thing alone. We're supposed to help each other bury or carry each other's burdens. And when we use all of our talents, resources, and uh, like spiritual gifts, you know, we're a lot more effective in the ministry. We can do, reach a lot more people, and it gets a lot less discouraging than having to do it yourself. So... If you will, please come, and that's all the announcements I have this morning. Let me say something right there before uh, they sing this morning. I appreciate the, the Lord putting this assembly together the way that he has. We've got such a good range of ages all throughout this church, but I appreciate the, the, the young adults of this church. They're, they're a major player in the work of this ministry. 
and we've never had a Sunday school class with this age group in mind up until now, and I appreciate the heart of those who have already put their hands to the plow in it to make it work, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do. Do you know who influences young kids? Other young kids. Do you know who influences young adults? Other young adults. That's the way, that's the way it is. We, we just built that way. You know who attracts uh, those who are elderly? The elderly do. And that's just the way God works. And we're all a player in this thing. It's not up just to one group or the pastor just to invite and encourage. We're all in this together. And I sure do appreciate what God is doing here at Merville. And I want to be as much of a part of it as I can be. And just thankful that God let me be a part. And, uh, and I'm just a small cog in this thing, but thank God I'm a cog for Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Well, I sent a call out uh, earlier this week that uh, I had a big surprise for y'all, and, and I do. And I've not told anybody. I've had to actually threaten my wife because she wanted to tell about half a dozen people. And uh, no, nah. you will not believe when I sent that call out about having a special, uh, special uh, day planned, Immediately, I started getting texts and phone calls, and so did my wife, wanting to know, is Miss Debbie pregnant? <laughs> uh, uh, no, no. Uh, but the earlier this past week, Brother Snyder Turner uh, called me, and I wasn't in a position to answer my phone at the time. And he left me a, a, a lengthy voicemail, and I listened to it when I got back to the car. And just as soon as I understood what he was requesting, God just started speaking to my heart right then to tell him to come in today if he could. And as the Lord would, the Lord had it worked out to where Brother Snyder Turner could be with us today. And I want to say some things that the before he actually comes, I want to say some things. A lot of you, a lot of you here do not even know who Snyder Turner is, maybe. But some of you who were here when I first got here, uh, you know this man. He is a friend of Murrayville Baptist Church. And one of the first preachers that I ever was asked if I knew once I got up here was, Brother John, do you know Snyder Turner? I said, no, I don't. And they said, well, he's, he's, a, he's been here and he preaches. He's a great man of God, great preacher, and uh, you might want to get to know him. Well, one of the guys back when we were out there in the old building, and one of the guys came up to me one day that ran the PA system. He said, Brother John, you might want to listen to this cassette. And so he's. And on it, it just had Snyder Turner. And it was a cassette recording of Brother Snyder preaching at Murrayville Baptist Church right prior to me coming up here. Matter of fact, uh, the previous pastor had just stepped down and y'all were without a pastor. And Brother Snyder was scheduled to come in and he preached and he was preaching and trying to encourage the church to look for the man of God that God wanted y'all to have. And during the course of that, that preaching, Brother Snyder said this. He said, you don't know who he is or what God is doing in his life right now, preparing him to come here. But God is working. God is working on him. He's working on y'all. And one day he'll put y'all together. And something to that effect. Well, it just, that tape, when I listened to it that day, it reminded, me, it reminded me of some things that God had been doing in my heart down in Waycross, Georgia, to prepare me to come to Murrayville. And I am so thankful 
that God had this place picked out for me. I'm so thankful that God had this people picked out for me. I have, I have, we've been through a lot together. And I appreciate God's grace and mercy through every bit of it. I'm so thankful that he's held us by the hand. He's called our tears. He's bottled them up. He's, he's recorded our shouts. And I'm so thankful that God has been the author and he will be the finisher of every bit of this. Brother Snyder wanted to know if he could come by and just thank the church for standing by the children's home that he's over. And Brother Snyder, I want to say this. Thank you for standing with Murrayville Baptist Church and being a friend to this church down through the years. I appreciate this. Yes. He'll tell you more about what his ministry and it was a multifaceted ministry. He'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But, uh, but like I say, the Lord just put it on my heart to ask Snyder. I said, he said, Brother John, if you could have us in sometime. I said, and I interrupted him. I said, Brother Snyder, what about Sunday? And it kind of caught him off guard. And he said, uh, Sunday? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. He said, I got some Sundays beyond that already booked, but this Sunday's open. And so I'm so thankful that God has worked this out to where Brother Snyder Turner could be in with us this morning. I know, I know he will be a blessing to you. And uh, I, have, I have no fears of this man stepping up behind this pulpit because I know his heart toward Jesus Christ. And so thankful that God has placed him in my life to encourage me. So, Brother Snyder, you come on, my brother. God bless you, my God. I appreciate that. I love you, sir. Love you. Thank you. I know he kept a good secret about me being here, or you wouldn't have been. <laughs> so, that's good. Uh, it is good to be back up here after a long time. And... Uh, I, and he rightly said, I, I don't understand how things work a lot of times, but I haven't got a chance to spend a lot of time with Brother John, but I've always loved him. I've just always felt just a real connection to him. He's always been so kind and treated me so well. And uh, the reason that I called him is because this church has been standing with our children's home for a very long time, a very long time. And I pastored for 24 years, and this month is my 51st year at the children's home. My, uh, <laughs> thank you. My dad started the children's home back in 66, and he, uh, was, I was talking to him one day, and he asked me if I could fill in until he could get somebody. And uh, 51 years later, I'm still doing whatever it is that I do. <laughs> I remember when my dad was in hospice. And uh, some of the most precious moments and memories for me is uh, he, he was there and he said, you need, you need to go on to work, son. You need to go on. And I told him, I said, no, I'm, I'm here as long as you are. You know, and so I stayed at about one o'clock, two o'clock at night. I'd be laying there just waiting. And, and he'd say, you awake? I said, well, I am now. He said, you're awake, son? I said, yes, sir. Lights out, total black. And for about three hours, he just talked to me. 
about ministry. He just talked. And he said, here's what you need to be aware of. And I thought for a long time, I, I served with him in his ministry at the church when he was pastor. And uh, I always thought sometimes I was getting dunked on with some of those jobs he was giving me. You know? And he just, uh, he'd say, well, he, we started the Iwanas. He said, well, you can do that. And I wasn't full-time in the church, wasn't paid position, just trying to help him out. And uh, he'd let, I would help do some baptisms sometimes, and he would let me do the communion with him sometimes. And uh, I, I told my wife, I said, I don't know, you know, I, I, he's supposed to be doing this, isn't he? And then, Ron, then I learned. I learned what he was doing. He was teaching, and he was showing me. And he was opening the doors for me to have opportunities to do things. And so when, uh, when he retired, they asked me to, uh, if I take the church as pastor, I always wanted to think that it was because I had such an influence on everybody. But the truth of the matter was they just didn't want to put together a pulpit committee. And so it just said, let him have it. You know, he can't do us all that much damage. But uh, all those years that uh, I worked with him and trying to do that. He just let me do it. So when my, and this is something I want you to really hear me about. When they asked me to do the pastorate, my wife said, what do you think? And I had been honored to serve with my dad. And I don't say this in a selfish way, but in a praise. Because of his health, I believe my taking on a lot of that responsibility enabled him to stay in the pastorate for two or three more years easily. And I was glad of that and thankful for that. And then I, they said, well, she said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, I said, you know, truthfully, Jerry, you, you would know from your dad. I said, truthfully, I think the only difference is going to be I'll get paid now. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what I learned? I couldn't have been any more wrong if I had practiced I couldn't have been any more wrong because I didn't even realize it until he was gone. I could do all these jobs. I could do all these things and that thing and do all these other things. But I always had someone that I could go to if it started getting off track. And I could go and I'd say, here's, here's what I'm facing. What, what, what do you want me to do? When he stepped down... I didn't have that anymore. And what I realized was it wasn't the working. It was the load that the pastor carries. It's the pressure of caring for people. And often I used to tell my church, please don't let me care more about you than you care about yourself. You know, don't let me care more about your Christian walk than you do. You know, because I realized I didn't have anybody to go to. Of course, the Lord. I, I'm not trying to say that. But I mean, I, I just always assume it doesn't look like a busy job to me, three or four hours a week, you know. And if you got good people in the church, it'll do it for you. But the thing about it is somebody said, I'd love to have your job. I said, I'd love you to have it too. And I said, well, I wish I had your problems. I said, well, let's just pray you can have them. You're welcome to them. But there is a responsibility. So you could take over and fill in and do the job. I can take the pulpit this morning. 
But I can't take the burden for this church that he carries. And there's, there's, no, there's no way to put, and I'm not, he didn't say a word to me about anything. I'm just saying from personal experience. There is the burden for wanting people to walk with God. And there's the burden that you wonder, are you really helping them reach the level that God wants them to get to? And all of those things will press. It's the same thing for a Sunday school teacher on a smaller level. If the teacher cares about the class, they carry that burden for those people. They want them to, whoever's taking your new young adult class. They didn't take it because they didn't, couldn't think of anything else to do, I bet. They took it because they wanted to do something. And this church has stood by this children's home and you've been kind to me and you let me come up. And, and I don't know, it's been over 20 years, I guess, since I've been up here. D did we go play golf that day? We were, that's right. Yeah, because I've never seen such adding up in my life as you do. <laughs> I had never seen that. He gave a whole new meaning to improve your life. You know, so. But anyway. <laughs> My wife says, you all know why you don't have any friends? Right there, buddy. <laughs> right, what you did right there is why you don't have any friends. But uh, no, we did. We have, I thought we did and had a, enjoyed being with. But this church has always been so kind. And I've always felt like because of the spirit that is always in this church has been such a, a blessing. I think it's a great draw. So to you that I don't know, uh, thank you for your letting me be here today for your kindness. I love you, Pastor. He's been kind to me. But the reason I called him, and I was up in South Carolina and drove in yesterday, a good solid eight hours. That was a lot of fun. But um, I called him for one reason. Though I don't spend much time with him, and I told him this, I have confidence in him. I believe he walks with God. I believe he cares about God's work. And so I called him, I told him, I said, I don't know that I've ever done this before. But I asked him if he, I, I wasn't asking for an appointment. I just said somewhere down the road, can I come say thank you? Didn't come to ask you for anything. Don't want you to do anything. I don't have a massive project you need to get involved in. And if you don't, our kids will starve and it'll be your fault. Yeah. <clears throat> None of that. I came up here to say thank you for standing with our kids through the crazy pandemics that we've been going through. Through the uh, economic situations we've gone through. Through this crazy inflation. All of these things that we've gone through. The one thing that's always been constant is your support. And some time ago, I got a letter. It was having some real, it's not horrible things, but just aggravating things more than anything else. And I got a letter from your pastor. And all it said was, we just wanted you to know our church had special prayer for you and the children's home. And what meant so much to me was he didn't just say the children's home. He said we prayed for you and the children's home. And that meant more to me than you could possibly imagine. But I called and I asked him, so I, want to, I want to ask your church to join with me on this. Would you pray that God will send us a loving, godly couple that will be the house parent for our boys? The couple we had had to go back to Florida. There had some issues with their family there. And they left uh, back in June, I guess. And we, just, we need somebody. We have somebody filling in. But when you're doing that and you're kind of plugging holes, you never feel like you're doing all you're supposed to be doing. Uh, I don't want to advertise because who in the world knows what may walk in the front door? You know, you just never know. And so I'm just called two or three pastors. And he's the one I called. 
And I said, would you just pray? Ask your church if you don't mind to pray for us. That's all I want. And I just want to say thank you. I, uh, I was raised as a young boy to see that they said when somebody does something for you, you tell them thank you. So I'm here to say on behalf of Calvary Children's Home, thank you. Thank you for caring about some kids you don't even know. You won't even see them. But because of that, what you have done. We only have 22 now. It's the lowest number we've had in a very long time. We have um, four graduated high school. One went in the Navy. We have three in college. We have uh, four in, in elementary school, five in middle school, or vice versa. School started when I wasn't there, so I'm not sure where everybody is. But uh, we have the three that are in college now. We have one young man that's out in Arkansas at a Bible college. And uh, so just pray that uh, if any good... If any good ever comes out of Calvary Children's Home, y'all get halfers on it. You know, Lord will give you credit for, for your ministry and outreach. You don't know them, but buddy, they know that people are caring for it. And, and I do, I really do appreciate that. As you know, most, some of you know, we don't get any state or federal funds. We don't have anybody that underwrites us. We don't have organizations or associations. It's just God's people the community, some businesses around have been good, and they give us a million and a half dollars a year to run the children's homes. It's very expensive to do this now because you can only have so many children per staff member. And so we wanted to be able to do what we can do. This year, we opened up a new house at our children's home. And when the, the group came to me and they said, they said, listen, um, they're, they're, the fair board, the Cobb County Fair Board, you know, like the county fair. Anyway, their board of directors have been good to give us a gift every year. They have a little thing at the fair for the home. And, and so one of them came and talked to me one day and he said, uh, we have a little bit of money and we want to do something in this community and in this county that's significant. And I want to come and talk to you about it. And I said, well, he was the former sheriff. And I said, well, sheriff, uh, tell me what you mean by significant. Because if you're thinking bus, I don't want to ask for towels. And if you're thinking towels, no need for me to ask for a bus. You know, and he said, just tell me what your vision is. So I described to him what God had laid on my heart. And I sketched out on the back of a napkin back in 1995. And it had three houses, four houses, the ultimate. But we had three. And I said, the last thing to this vision, the last part of this vision is a fourth house right here. And he said, do you need it? I said, no, not right now, I don't. But if I wait till I need it, it'll take me another three or four years to get the funds. It won't be any good. Now, I'm not a big fan of if you build it, they'll come. Maybe that's true. I'm not sure. Work for Kevin Costner. I don't know about us. But he said, if you build it, they'll come. I don't know about that. But I know this. If you build it, they can come. And that's the difference. So we said, all right, we'll build it. And it's there, Lord, you do with it what you want to do. I believe in 50, 20 years ago, that's the vision laid on my heart. That is it. Well, the other houses that we built them back in 97, 98, right along in there, the houses were like 600000 you know, between six dollars and $700,000 a piece uh, because of all the things you have to do when you sleep children in a, in a building. And so we did that, and they said, what do you think it'd be? I said, I don't know. It could be well over a million dollars. Well, I didn't know that when I said that, that it's going to be a million and a half dollars to build that building. Same building, same floor plan, same square footage with just a variance, very small var uh, variance in the size of the 
um, ADA restrooms that we had to build had to be a little bit larger. That's it. But that's the cost. And so anyway, I said, well, I guess that took care of that. And um, so they said they would give $750,000 on that building. Well, that was tremendous. I mean, I don't know where you normally would find something like that. I was talking to our board, and one of them said we had talked before, and the price that we kept getting bandied about was $750,000. I said, we can't do it for that. I'm not a builder, but I know you can't do it for that. And I said, I don't know if it's time for me to step out. I don't know if we ought to do this or not. And one of the guys said this. He said, How many, what's the number you've been talking about? I said, well, $750,000. He said, what would our portion be? I said, $750,000. He said, you're getting a million and a half dollar house for 50, 50 cents on the dollar. And he said, and besides, if you don't do it now, when, when the time does come, where are you going to find that $750,000? So we said, okay, we're going to do this. And we started. We don't borrow any money. We don't owe any money. We don't do that. We want to be good stewards. But I want you to know this. A million and a half dollars for that house. A million and a half dollars for our budget. We built the house, our portion, $750,000. We never borrowed a penny. We paid all of our debt. And I have no clue where that money came from except from God. That's the only thing I know. We didn't do it. We didn't have any fundraisers. We did a golf tournament because we like to play. We was going to invite you, but this was where we counted them like they're supposed to be counted. And so, but when we, when we see things like this and we see God working, how God blesses us, you will be a part of kids being in heaven. Don't let that get past you. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter about all other stuff. But I want to, pastor's permission, send some newsletters up here. And just so, just so you'll see. Didn't come to ask you honestly. Didn't come to ask you for a thing. I just came to say thank you. It means something to me. I love your pastor. I love his family. I love his love for you. And God has been good to us. So let me, let me kind of, as let me read you a verse of scripture. And as I do this, I'll just sort of, Talk about the home a little bit in that as well, if I can do that. Now, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. If you've been in church very long, you know this one. Now, let me, let me, <laughs> now, let me say this, and don't get offended at me. If you are, good for you. But I am not a fan of cats. I'm just not. I'm not going to take a poll. I'm not going to get into that. I'm just not. They look and they act like backslidden Baptists. You can feed them. You can give them anything in the world. You do anything. For, and then they shed all over your chair. So when you sit down, you look like you're hung up somewhere in the evolutionary process. You know, you got all this hair on you. They won't move. At least my boy got out of the chair when I walked in the room. The cat just looked at me. Now, I put my foot down. I told Marcia, ain't going to be no cats here. I don't like them. I just don't like them. And she knew I meant business. That's why we only had two. <laughs> she knew I meant business, buddy. So we only had two. So one day, one night, it's pouring down rain. And it was cold. Winter time, it was kind of a sleet, rainy mix. And she said, well, you let the cat in. I think it's outside. I said, 
Let him ring the doorbell. I said, yeah, I will, I will. So I got up and I walked over to the door and I pushed open the door and the cat is standing about, he's closer than from here to the preacher. He's just standing there and he's soaking wet. I thought cats ran from getting wet. I didn't. He's standing there looking at me and I looked at him and I said, come on. He just stood there. I said, come on. And he stood there. So Marsha heard me. She came walking up. And she said, no, no. You have to say, kitty baby. <laughs> I said, honey, your cat's going to freeze. Man, <laughs> kitty baby and nobody. So she said, move. Kitty baby, that crazy thing. And I, I listen, I know, I know when he walked by me, he went. <laughs> but think a minute. Every single Sunday, the preacher stands up here and he opens the door. And he says, come on in out of that mess. Come on in. Come on. You're getting beat up by the weather. You're getting beat up by circumstances. Come on. Come on in here where it's warm. Come on in here where it's safe. Come on in here, you know. And you know what we do? We do like that cat. We just stand there and say, I think I'll just hang out. That's what we say to these kids at the children's home. When you don't think your parents care much about you, it's tough to believe anybody else does. It's very tough to believe you matter to anybody else if you don't think you matter to your own parents. Have you ever tried to teach a child? Now, you know, children are, are very concrete. They, they, don't deal, they don't deal in abstract. You know, you tell them, don't, uh, don't, touch, that, don't touch that heater. And then don't, don't, don't touch that. And then don't. You know what? Once they touch it, you know how many times the rest of your life you have to tell them not to touch a heater? None. And you're trying your best to help them to make decisions that will be good for them. And they constantly keep trying to push the limits, constantly trying to do these things. And so like children, again, if you have... Uh, you say dog, you say D-O-G. That's these letters. And then you draw this image. And hopefully, when you say, you show them this, they can think of these letters. And when you show them the letters, they can think of this image. And when they're able to merge those two, learning takes place. These letters represent that. This is characterized by these letters. Imagine telling a child that's been abused. We won't introduce you to the heavenly father. And they go, father, father. Yeah, know all about fathers. Know all about fathers. You know why? Because that's what they have seen. And when those two kids are fighting and squabbling, got two two-year-olds and they're fighting over, what do they always say? What do they say when they're fighting for this thing? It's mine. 
You walk up to them and you say, hey, God's not pleased with what you're doing. If you're going to be able to function as an adult in society, you've got to learn to get along. Have you ever had that two-year-old say, well, what in the world was I thinking? Take that thing and play with it. (laughs) Of course not. And so you have to understand that when you see certain things, you make connections. And if you connect them well, they'll stay with you for a while. Let me show you something Isaiah saw. In Isaiah chapter number six, when you get there, say, got it. All right. (laughs) I did that one service and one of my deacons about five minutes in said, still looking. (laughs) We're going to miss you. Chapter six, verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. When he says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Now, when he makes reference to Uzziah, this is not just so that we'll have a historical point of reference. If you want to know what Uzziah was like, you can go back to 2 Chronicles. We don't have time to turn, but I want to touch something for you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, listen to the description of Uzziah. When he was 16 years old, he came to the throne. And he was on the throne for 52 years. Now listen to this. He said this. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 2 years. And he did, listen, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. The next verse. And he sought God. The last of that verse said, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and others. Verse 18, his name spread, excuse me, verse 8. His name spread abroad. He was strengthened exceedingly. Verse 10 said he was given much cattle. God is blessing him. He is victorious. He had 2,600 leaders and 307,000 soldiers. So God strengthened him. And he had an influence and an impact on that which was around him. And it says in verse number 15, And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. You with me? This is yes. Till he was strong. But when his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed. You know what he did? Let me just abbreviate this. He became so enamored with himself that he took the incense and went into the temple and began to take the role of the priest And I mean, it's religious service, I guess, in his thinking. 80 priests come in and they tell him, you're not to do this. This is not your domain. This is not what you're called to do. This is for the people who are are determined by God to be able to do this. And he instead of saying, well, okay, you're right, I overstepped my bounds. He became angry. You ever had anybody who has served the Lord well? And then for whatever reason, they kind of drift away. And you say something to them and just your invitation, it says, hey, we, we miss you. Have you ever noticed sometimes that little resistance that you get? That pushback? And then they will remind you what they used to do. You can go over to the city of Rome, Italy right now, and you'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars for them to tell you what they used to be. What they used to be. 
And you talk to people who've gotten away from the things of God. And they will always, well, I used to teach Sunday school. Oh, I had a class at 25. I stayed with it till I got it down to about four. And then I left. That's what I used to do. See, the, the idea is. So when he says the year that King Uzziah died was after great success had been theirs. And the country grew and the country was blessed. And then, so he comes back and he says, this is the year just for a frame of reference, just so you'll know what's happening. And so he says, when this happened, now he says, I looked and I saw the Lord. Circumstances oftentimes will come into our life that will cause you to redirect your attention back to the things of God. Now you come in, now listen, let me read this to you real quick. And it said above it, verse two, chapter six of Isaiah, above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings with twain. He covered his face with twain. He covered his feet and with twain. He did fly. And one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The Lord of the armies of heaven. The whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door, the threshold moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand. <clears throat> which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth. And he said, lo, this hath touched your lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged. First time this word is used when it speaks of Noah putting tar pitch on the ark. He seals it up. It stops it from leaking. No, nothing gets in and no water, nothing gets in, nothing gets out. So what he's saying is when you're purged from your sin, they are lifted off like taking a load out of a ship and they're done away with. He said, it is at that point. He said, when does that happen? When we reconnect with God, when we understand that God has something for us. And so we're saying to our children that come to us and you can't go, you can't go to church any more than our kids do. I'm telling you, we're in church all the time. I'm not complaining. What I'm saying is that alone doesn't guarantee that they're going to put their faith in Christ. Uh, what it does too many times is that it allows them to feel religious without ever being saved. They have the form, but they don't have the relationship. And so because when people will come and you ask them, are you a Christian? They'll refer you to something that sounds real churchy. But it doesn't have a whole lot to do with a personal relationship with him. And so they come to church and we have to say to them, listen, and, and another thing too, because everything they have is because people just like Murrayville and other churches and, and people, individuals, because they give to us, everything they have is because somebody gives it to them. So if you're not careful, you can have a sense of entitlement, sound like America, a little sense of entitlement to where people just get and get and get and give me more and give me more 
and don't expect anything back from me. And so we have a very difficult time. We are blessed as a country. God has given to us and given to us. And I tell them at the children's home until they're just sick of hearing it, I'm sure. And that is because God has blessed us in the past doesn't mean he has to bless us in the future. And you never take God for granted. You never, you never, how often? Never do you take God for granted. Every day, we have to be aware of the goodness of God and, and serve him and love him. i got to hurry. I will say one thing. My, my walk with God is a whole lot, I'm afraid, like my GPS system. It took me on a route I have never been to in my life to get here. I thought, man, they've moved that whole shopping center. You ever had that thing say, uh, turn left a mile and a half. And they go, you know what? I think, I think I can go this way. I had one tell me one time, directions have been halted until you get back on route. <laughs> I said, that sounds like God. But the point is that when we see what God has done, and we don't take it for granted, but look what he is doing here. And so what happens is that we come and we enter into the presence of God. He saw him here. But here's what's interesting to me. You see in verse number six, when he says, uh, woe, you know, woe is me. Woe is me. You know what he had been doing in the previous five chapters? He had been doing the job of the prophet. Now, some writers say that this actually should be at the beginning and then the rest of it follows. Others say, no, it's in the right place because it sort of shows where he is. And then when Uzziah died, it breaks him, you know, it opens up this sense of need uh, that the country's in trouble. I don't know. But the point is this. He says, woe is me. You know what he does in chapter five? Well, I'm glad you asked. Listen to what he does in chapter number five. He says, woe, six, five or six times in chapter five. He says, verse eight, verse eight, woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field till there's no place. They want to consume and have possessions. He said, you want to buy so much land that nobody can crowd in between you. You want to own it all. He said, woe to you. He said, sadness and discipline and judgment to people with that attitude. Verse 11, woe unto them that rise up early in the morning. They may follow strong drink. Listen, that continue until night, until wine inflames them. This, this self-indulgement, he said, they drink and they party until there is just nothing left. And they are consumed by the very thing they think is, is a blessing to them. Verse 12 will prove that. And the harp and the vial. And the tabernacle and the pipe and wine are in their feast. Look, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operations of his hand. Verse 18, woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords, those that think they are above judgment. Verse 20, woe unto them that call evil good. This apostasy, they pervert the truth of things and they change that which is good, evil into that which is good. Verse 21, woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. Pride has begun to infiltrate everything. Verse number 22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. He's back again to talking about the excesses of trying to find some way to fill that void up in your life that only God can fill. All of that goes on five or six times. 
Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you about this. Woe to you about that. But when he sees God, when he gets to the altar, you know what he does? He says, woe is me. See, a real connection with God is not about what everybody else is doing. And you never measure your closeness to God by the distance of other people. You are close to God because you choose to be close to God. Because you see the responsibility and the privilege of that. And so what does it do? When we enter into his presence, let me just tell you this real quick. This is what we try to teach the children. This is all we're trying to say is that we want you to understand that we, all we can do is open that door and we invite you in every Sunday at invitation time, your pastor opens the door and he says, come on in, come on. Don't, don't, that's not where you need to be. That isn't what God made you for. And we stand out there beat up by the elements. We're beaten up here and we're beaten up there and, And you talk to folks, and I would talk to people who are going through struggles. And and the bottom line to it would come out to be, they're not looking for direction. They're looking for options. Give me an option. Tell me what God has. Let me see if that's an option I want to follow. I honestly cut down on an awful lot of counseling by asking one question before they came. Because you know how it works. If, if she asks for the appointment and you come, you got a problem with him because he thinks you're on her side because she set it up. I always ask them this. If I can show you a verse in context that addresses what you're dealing with, are you willing to do it? And if you're not, you're not ready to talk to me. Are you, if God has something to say about your circumstance, will you accept God's word regardless of your personal feelings Can you lay them aside? Can you lay the welfare of your home aside long enough to do what God says? Because God can fix, he he can put together anything that's broken if he has all the pieces. And you have to give him the pieces. And if we're willing to do that. So he comes in, but no thing that'll do. When we come and we live, I think I might have mentioned to the preacher. I feel like at a children's home because of our need for house parents and things like that. I feel like we live all the time right on the threshold of stepping into something really big. I feel like we just stay. That's where I felt. I felt that for the church even. I felt like we live right on the threshold. Not, not quite ready to step in. Not quite sure if we're ready to step in. But we want to stay close enough to God. Close enough to God. So that. If something happens, I can pray and he can fix it. I don't want to be way out there. You know, I just, I want to be close enough to God. You know, I just want to be just close enough that it doesn't affect the way I live. You talk about compromise. See, when we talk about a compromise, I'm not talking about your faith being here and then you drop it and throw it away. I'm not talking about that. Because we, we run from that. We're not going to do that. Where you get into a problem is this. You bring your level of commitment just under the point of being offensive to people. You, you know, you, as long as you don't offend people, you still get invited to the things that go on. 
As long as you don't offend people. See, the thing about it is, if you have a faith strong enough to get you to heaven, you probably have a faith strong enough to offend the world. Yeah. And so what we see then is this, we come and you understand when you decide to step across, he said, I saw God. What happened? All of these circumstances <clears throat> have helped to drive me to the point that I looked to him. Was that the reason? I don't know. If you go back over again in chapter five, when he lays out, he says, I planted a garden. I looked for good grapes. and All I got was wild grapes. And then he said, I fenced you in. I pulled up the stones. I protected you. I gave you all the good stuff. And he said, and in turn, I only got bad things. He said, as a result, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take away your hedge. And he says, I'm going to break down your wall. It's got nothing to do with Joe Biden or John, Donald Trump. He said, I'm going to pull down that wall. In other words, all the things that you used as a protection. He said, I'm going to remove that. You're now exposed. Now, I want you to understand. In verse 7, it says, for the vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel. Very clearly states that is a reference to Israel. But it's a sad, sad companion to where America is. I'm afraid it reflects us a little more than we want it to. But we say this, so it affects our worship in the first four verses. When we decide it's time to step over and quit living just outside the door. That cat wasn't roaming all over creation. It was right there. It was three or four steps from peace and quiet and warmth. But he wouldn't move. And he was standing there shivering. And I thought, you're going to freeze. I gave you a chance. And Mark says, no, here's how you do it. It's our worship. When you begin to see God <clears throat> high and lifted up. And the one who can change those things in your life. Does he fix everything right then? No, not often. Not all the time. But what he does change is the way we look at things. He changes the way we respond to things. See, there's a, there's a again, at the children's home, I tell them there's a big difference between having a reaction and having a response. If you're taking medication, and I say, hey, how's that medication doing? And you say, well, I had a reaction to it. Is that good or bad? Ain't good. But you say, well, I responded to it. See, reaction just sounds out of control. See, we react to a lot of things. And he has been saying, all of this is going on. And he's saying, woe is this, and woe is this, and woe are you, and woe. And all of those things are legitimate. That's a good message. But the difference was when he saw God, when he realized, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. What is the job? What's the tool? What's the tool that a prophet uses? It's his lips. It's his words. It's not the other things that you do. It's not the other job things that you try to do around to help. And you want to be a part of carrying the physical load too. But it's the words of the minister. It's the words of that teacher. That's what penetrates into our hearts. That's what comes in and it begins to take root. And it begins to, and it can withstand the storms and the hot suns that uh, Matthew and Luke talk about. But it affects our worship. You come in here, and you sit down, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm here. Let's see what you got. Or you can come in and you say, Lord, if you got something to say to me today, please speak. Your servant is listening. Speak to my heart. 
Because when you come in, you don't need all that we say. If we talk 40 minutes, you don't need everything we say. I hope the Lord you don't. But you could be sitting there and you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, yeah, yeah. And then the minister can say one thing and it kind of goes, mm. Just that little nudge. And then he goes on and you go on nothing affects you. Do you understand? God probably had you in service that day for that one statement. That one thing that needs to be dealt with. Because God in his wisdom understands. If you come down here regarding that one thing, he has opportunities to address all the other things. He's not going to overwhelm you with a lot of stuff. His conviction will come and say, hey. See, conviction is not so much about what you do as it is about who you are. And so God says, I want you to come down here. Let's talk a minute. Because when you get down here and you say, Lord, this is why this spoke to you. See, you want to know, why did, that, why did that statement affect you? Why did you feel anything in your heart when that went on? Maybe, just maybe. God is speaking to you. So it affects our worship. It affects our attitude about ourselves. Look at verse number five. That's when he said, woe is me. We understand who we are. We understand our relationship. And all we try to say to our young people, don't think because you're in church. Don't think because you have evening devotions. Don't think because we try to do other things with people in church groups come in and they'll do little Bible studies and things along that are always appreciated and helpful. But those in and of themselves won't save you. They show you how to be saved. They invite you to be saved. But the exposure to what is right does not mean that's going to affect you. It's when you respond to it. And here he is. He's been doing all of these woes and judgments and, and, and forgive the word for attack. But what he's doing, he's going after sin. And then he comes and he says, you know what? The issue is not about all that. It's about me. Because I've learned this, that when God deals with me, when God deals with me, it's amazing how much better everybody else seems to act. They all seem to act better. When, when I'm right with the Lord, we all seem to act, they all seem to act better. And I learned, I've been married long enough to know my opinion don't count for much. But I'll tell you this, one of the most freeing things I ever learned in my life, preacher, the most, one of the most freeing things that I learned was that everything that went on didn't need the anointing of my opinion. And when I learned that, it was like, okay, I'm here if you need me, ask me. But I'm not going to tell you if, if you, if that's the way you do it, then you can do it that way. And if there's a I may suggest something, but if you say, no, I want to keep going, well, I'm not going to offend you. Now, don't misinterpret that as saying, well, just go on to hell then. It isn't that at all. It isn't that at all. I'm talking about trying to control people, trying to be in control rather than saying, here's the path. I want you to walk in it. There's joy for you. There's blessings for you. So we try to teach our young folks what love is about. But it's so much more than an emotion. One of the dangers that we have, Terry, if you don't mind, can we do a song? One of the things that is a great danger around the children's home is that our girls, especially Boys, too, 
but particularly our girls, are very susceptible to any kind of kindness from a male because they're hungry for male attention. And so some, some guy can look at them and my soul, you wouldn't believe, is revolutionizing the world. And then if they break up for whatever reason, this is the one, this is the one forever. So you only known him a week, you know. But this is the one. This is the, and then they break up and life's just not worth living. I said, hang on a week. Hang you have another in a week. Just hang on. You don't measure your worth by what somebody else thinks about you. Your worth as a believer is wrapped up in who you are in Christ. I'm not a fan of Jerry Maguire and all that stuff about you complete me. Good for you. If that's where you are, okay, I guess. The Bible says in Colossians, you are complete in Him. It is not my wife's job to make me happy. It's not her job to be the source of my joy. She, she is all of those things. But that's not her job. That's unfair of me to put that on her. For her to have to be this and do this and do that, you know. If she brings me a glass of tea, I hope it's because she likes me. It's never because she has to. Who wants to do something because you're made to do it? And so if she wants to do something and she brings it in there, it's, more, it's, it's even more special. She doesn't have to do that. I would never put that on. I don't look to her to be the source of my joy. That's not fair to her. Because the mood swings that we go through, who in the world knows what kind of mood they're in? You work with a Christian, you go to work on a Monday, one Monday is, oh, glory to God, what a service. Whoo, it filled that whole place. I had chills. Up. Well, you might have been the Holy Spirit and you might have been sitting by a vent. You know, so you just don't ever know. It's not about the emotions. Are there emotions in relationships? Of course there are. Are there emotions in walking and with God and serving God? Yes, you had some here while the choir was singing. Anything wrong with that? No. But I guarantee you that's not what he's seeking. That's not what he's pushing is for us to get excited. He's not pushing for an emotional response. He wants people's eyes and hearts to be turned to the Lord. And in that turning, that's when that emotional response can come. But it's not built upon, this is what I have to have. Some people sit in church and they raise their hands. Others think the world's coming to an end if they see that. I always told them, at our church, you are free to raise your hand anytime you want to. But you're also free not to do that if you don't want to. You don't have to do that when I... I remember back when my wife was begging me to marry her. And uh, I can imagine, I can't get over how emboldened I am when she's not in the room. I'm not afraid of anything when she's not here. <laughs> she came from a First Baptist setting. And she came, I don't know if you ever knew my dad, but when he came in, I know you knew him. My dad had two speeds, off and wide open. That's it. 
So we sat down. I, I didn't. I grew up in that. Shouting never has scared me. I'm not stricken by, with fear when it happens. I don't think they're crazy people. But I didn't tell her our church shouted. So she came in and we're sitting there. And <laughs> Marie Thompson was sitting in front of us. She's in glory right now. I'm sure the Lord's saying, can you hold it down a little bit, Marie? But anyway, she's, she's sitting right in front of us. And the choir, she said, I've never heard a choir sing so loud. I kept waiting for your dad to have a stroke with his face all red. And we're sitting there, and we're, I mean, we're singing away. And all of a sudden, Marie just comes straight up, man. And she is shouting. And Marcia still says today, she said, God, if you're getting me out of here, I won't ever come back in this building. <laughs> now she's as comfortable with that as anybody else. I don't seek that. I don't push for that. But I'm not afraid of it. As long as it's real. As long as it's from God. That's the thing. But it's worship. He said, I'm undone. Things are just coming apart. So I realize before God, I'm nothing. But it also speaks to our availability. I'll just, have to, I'll just quit. It speaks to our availability. Let me ask you a question. What if? What if? Brother Terry sings this song. or leads this song. What if somebody here said, God, I don't want to live outside. I don't want to live on this side of the threshold anymore. Maybe you've been going to church forever. Maybe you've been saved forever. But when you see people connecting with God and you see them, you know, you look and you go like, I don't know, I know one lady. I remember the day I got saved and my dad came and knelt with me. Right beside me, a lady was there and she got saved. Same time I did. And buddy, she came up, woo, running across the front of the church. And I thought, what in the world? And I turned to my dad and I said, why didn't I do that? And what he said settled it for me forever. He said, that's just not who you are. She's an emotional person. And she reacts differently. Has nothing to do with her salvation. That's the way she expresses it. That's how she expresses it. Don't ever try to do it. Don't ever keep from doing it if you feel led to. That settled it for me forever. For, I've never had a problem with that, ever. But what if? What if a teacher? What if a deacon? What if a choir member? What if some other office holder said, Lord, if there's anything to what that guy's saying, about circumstances can drive us to the point, but I don't want to live on the edge. See, we're out of the rain, but we're not in the joy. Not in the joy. You say, I just, if, if there's something to it, if there really is something to it, I don't want to live off my dad's faith. I don't want to live off my mother's faith. My wife has as much faith as anybody I've ever seen in my life, but I don't want to live off her faith. So what, what if a teacher said, I want to be right with you. 
more than I care about anything else right now in this moment. And you just came in there. Now listen, don't come down here and make God a bunch of promises. Number one, you're not going to keep them. And then you're just going to add guilt to yourself. Just come down here and say, God, as you speak to my heart, and as you prompt me, give me the courage, give me the, the wisdom, give me the ears. And when you speak to me, let me respond. And if you'll do that, with your help, I'll do my part. What if a teacher got up right now and said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to pray God speak to me. Invade my class through my teaching. Let your word fill my heart and let that which fills me spill over onto other people in here. What if when that teacher responded, that deacon responded, that member responded, that choir member, what if when that happened, somebody else saw yeah. it's okay to walk with God? You say, well, what do people think? They'll think you want to walk with God. What do you want them to think? What if they got up and came? And what if somebody saw them that knows them and has confidence in them and they said, well, if they want closer, maybe there's something to this and then maybe they'll come. What if this church joined together, lifting up Calvary Children's Home and God sending us the right staff? What if you'd be a part? Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Thank you for the kindness this pastor and this church. Thank you for the way they have loved me, been kind to me through the years. 